This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Okay, guys. Very serious and outraging issue happening right now. The Abundant Birth Project is a San Francisco program designed to counter obstetric racism that researchers say leads to disproportionate numbers of African-American mothers to die from childbirth. We've talked about this here on Higher Learning, Black maternal mortality, and the issues surrounding Black pregnant people, uh, both postpartum and while they are going through their labor. Um, this, <laughs> this project seems to be uh, a godsend to me to provide over 150 pregnant and black Pacific Islanders in San Francisco $1,000 a month uh, so that they can live and get the care that they need, but is now clouded by a lawsuit alleging that the program, the first of its kind in the nation, illegally discriminates by giving the stipend only to people of a specific race. It also targets the San Francisco Guaranteed Income Program serving artists, transgender people, and black young adults. Um, we have somebody, a brilliant, brilliant voice, joining us today to discuss this uh, and discuss the problems, the inherent racism, and the challenge of this, and how we deal with issues like this if we're not allowed to directly address them. Um, uh, that woman's name is Kiara Bridges, Dr. Kiara Bridges. Let me give this sister her, her, her props on here. Uh, she's a law professor at UC Berkeley, the UC Berkeley School of Law, specializing in, in, in the intersectionality of race, reproductive issues, reproductive justice, should I say, and law. She's written a plethora of things, including reproductive, reproducing race, the ethnography oof, of pregnancy as a site of radicalization, the poverty of privacy rights, oh, kind of critical race theory, a primer. Oh, my God, they love her on the right. Um, also, a dancer and a trained ballet person who performs with ballet ink. So many different things. Kiara, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me. Um, and thanks for yeah providing a platform for folks to listen to and engage with like really important issues. Okay. Um, I'm going to use my humanist brain right now. When I look at the Abundant Birth Project, I see an inherent good. I see people who are tackling an issue and trying to bring substantive change to something 
that we all agree, people that have looked at the numbers, um, is a problem. Why would anyone want to stop that? <laughs> Why would anybody want to save lives? I don't know. Um, you know, there the Republican Party has for a long time been hostile to race conscious interventions. Um, you know, the Repu- there's a there's a significant portion of the Republican Party that denies that racism persists. Um, that you know they cl- uh, claim that we overcame in the 1960s. You know, we passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Obama was elected in 2008 and racism is a thing of the past. Um, And so consistent with that view um, is this position that, you know, race conscious interventions into social problems are in fact the problem. And so the Abundant Birth Program, which is a race conscious intervention into the fact of racial disparities in maternal mortality and morbidity, is conceptualized as racism, as the problem that, you know, according to their legal theories, the Constitution and the Civil Rights Act of 1964 forbid. Um, can you explain obstetric racism? Yeah, obsession racism is a concept um, that has been uh, put forth by, you know, a variety of sociologists and anthropologists and lawyers. And the idea is that um, racism doesn't stop when you enter into the delivery room. You know, racism, you know, uh, racism is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And it's also present. And um, when you're laboring and delivering and recovering from having given birth. And so obstetric racism is a concept that attempts to um, capture just the, the the disparate treatment that Black and, and other non-white people experience um, in labor and delivery rooms. So the disparate treatment, meaning we're not listened to, um, our pain is denied, um, our humanity is denied, uh, we're treated like um, animals, you know, breeders. Um, and so our, our um, interest in privacy and autonomy and agency is just disregarded. And so... Um, the Abundant Birth Program uh, attributes some portion of racial disparities in maternal mortality and morbidity to obstetric racism. And so it's designed to intervene in those processes and save lives in the process. Well, there are going to be people that are going to be listening to this and they are going to say, how in the world could people um, be racist against the human beings in the very act of life giving? Like, how could that be a thing? In your question, in your opinion, why does this type of racism exist and why is it so prevalent? I mean, racism is a dehumanizing um, narrative, right? And it's it's more than a narrative. It's also, uh, you know, has material consequences. And, um, you know, part of the reason that I actually got interested in the law around reproduction was that I observed, like, this is early, like back in law school, like I observed how pregnancy and birth and childbearing and mothering were talked about in law and also, you know, in literature and, you know, other places. And it was sort of talked about as like a good thing, you know, for the pregnant person, for the pregnant person's family, for the country, for the nation, for the world. Um, but then like on the ground, you know, I, I was going to law school sort of as we emerged from this, you know, political period when like the welfare queen was, was you know, ubiquitous and demonized and, and kind of leveraged in order to, you know, uh, 
get political sentiments against, you know, big government and like giving benefits to low income people um, just to help them, you know, get food, clothing, shelter, you know, and healthcare, basic necessities. And so I was like really struck by the difference between the way pregnancy and mothering and childbirth and was talked to, you know, were talked about in the literature and law and the way that people like really disparaged actual pregnant and birthing people and mothering, you know, mothers on the ground. And the thing that explained the disparity was race and class. Like, you know, when you have race and class privilege in this country, your reproduction tends to be celebrated. But when you lack both of those things, when you are non-white and when you're poor and when you're trying to, you know, engage in what should be a celebrate, an amazing process of like bringing life into this world, um, you're denigrated. You're conceptualized as a social problem, as like the mother of our future welfare queens, the mother of our future super predators, you know, um, the, 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 the problem. Um, so yes, absolutely. That will carry over into the labor and delivery room and um, the folks who are charged to to care for you during that process um, will treat you as a social problem. And that's what obstetric racism, tend, you know, endeavors to capture. So it, I'm to believe then that the animus towards Black people, towards others in this country exists on such a a primal level mm. that uh, the idea of more of us angers uh, <laughs> power establishments and they then treat pregnant people like shit. Because I, I think that's an absolute, you know, an accurate way to capture it. Absolutely. Um, we, you know, when black folks are given birth, they're not conceptualized as, um, you know, people who are doing a good thing. They're conceptualized as people who are irresponsible, um, people who made a mistake and now um, the society has to bear the financial, you know, and social costs of that mistake. So absolutely. Um, I think that captures uh, what the abundant birth program is designed to at least, you know, begin to intervene in. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, The Abundant Birth Project, first of its kind in this country, which as we've talked about how incredible it is and what it's doing, it is being challenged in a court of law by. And this is a San Francisco program, yet the group 
who's challenging is coming out of Texas. And we're seeing this trend where we see conservative groups coming together, conservative people challenging affirmative action. We saw them challenging a scholarship program. They got of Georgia where it benefited uh, uh, black and brown people. Um, and now we're seeing it with the Abundant Birth Project. From this, looking at this lawsuit, do you think that as it stands, the Abundant Birth Project, is it, do you think that it could be challenged and found to be illegal um, under the law? Uh, no. So, you know, we have a generation of hostile precedent um, for race conscious interventions. Um, there's nothing, you know, a lot of folks like to think about our present Supreme Court as like um, the beginning of, of like, bad law. But the reality is that we've had bad law coming out of the Supreme Court, um, at least, you know, since the 1970s. Um, so there, there is a whole bunch of hostile precedent um, that um, suggests the illegality or the unconstitutionality of race-conscious programs. However, um, there's also precedent um, kind of creating exceptions um, to the unconstitutionality or illegality of race conscious interventions. Um, and so the abundant birth program and, you know, sort of my reading of the, the, the case law of the, the cases that the Supreme Court has handed down um, fits within one of those narrow exceptions, right? Um, the abundant birth program is a targeted intervention into a phenomenon that um, we all know exists. Nobody can deny that Black people are dying at three to four times the rate of white people during, you know, from pregnancy-related causes. Um, and the same is true in California. Our numbers are a little different, but racial disparities in maternal mor mortality and morbidity exist in California, you know, one of the bluest of the blue states. Um, and so this is an intervention designed to save Black and Pacific Islander lives. Um, it is doing it by providing essentially a guaranteed income so that people don't have to, um, you know, work these low-wage jobs that um, prevent them from being able to care for them to rest, right? So in, um, providing them with, a, you know, an income that allows them to get the food that they need, to not worry about housing insecurity for at least, you know, nine months of their pregnancy. And so again, this is a targeted intervention designed to address a phenomenon that exists in California and again, in my reading of the of the case law, in my reading of the precedents, this should be able to survive um, the the scrutiny that federal courts have been um, commanded to give to race conscious programs. Um, so, you know, without getting into the whole legality of it, uh, strict scrutiny—that's the name of the level of review that federal courts should be using on um, programs that employ a racial cl classification. Um, and strict scrutiny, they say it is, you know, fatal in fact. It's, you know, strict in scrutiny, but fatal in fact. But there are, are many, many um, examples of programs that have survived strict scrutiny. And, I, and, you know, again, I think Abundant Birth Project is one of those that should be able to survive. It may be able to survive the law, but can it survive the politics? Because this issue might very well be viewed as a purely political one, um, particularly as we're starting to see more activist judges all over, not just at the Supreme Court level, but all over the federal courts. Yeah. Can it survive the politics? And if it's a political issue, um, how do we fight it using politics? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that uh, it 
can survive the legal challenge. I also think that it can survive the politics, but it has to be in a in a place um, that is politically, you know, amenable to to programs like this. And San Francisco is certainly one of those places. California is one of those places. Um, you know, I could name a couple of other blue places, you know, across the U.S. where programs like these um, might survive. You know, will it survive in Florida, where I'm from? Probably not. You know, will it be politically tenable in Texas and, you know, Louisiana, Missouri? You know, probably not. And that's the that's the tragedy um, of of politics, you know, in the U.S. is that, you know, your ability to survive as a black person, you know, your ability to survive pregnancy may be contingent, like on the state that you're born in, on the city that you happen Mm -hmm. to reside in and. You know, last I checked, the Constitution said something about equal protection of the laws. Um, so that suggests to me that everywhere we live, you know, in, in this country, we ought to have an equal chance of surviving. But, you know, our Supreme Court, like I said, has been handing out hostile precedent, really bad law since at least the 1970s when it comes to race. Um, and so we're stuck, right, with with what we have right now. And that is, if you're in California, you're more likely to survive your pregnancy than if you're in Mississippi or if you're in, you know, Louisiana. And that's a tragedy. Mm. Um, the politics of it is is so important, especially as we're stepping into 2024. And we're seeing that these type of challenges um, not just with maternal, black maternal health and and that crisis, which we've talked about in this podcast before, but in other areas as well, um, where people feel like minorities are getting preferential treatment. Um, what can we do? Because you talk about like California's, you know, the laws are, are here different in one state versus, or the politics are different in one state versus what they are in Texas. You know, mm-hmm. Texas is mm-hmm. on the forefront right now with a, a huge abortion case. Um, uh, yeah, right now. What can, what is it that we can do to, you know, within our own states um, to support Black maternal, the Black maternal health crisis or any other area that's being challenged um, to benefit minorities? Yeah. I mean, I guess I am like a hopeless optimist when it comes to just like facts. <laughs> like, I think that the facts um, are just so uh, damning in this country. Like, you know, just the facts of the statistics, you know, the numbers that describe racial inequality are just like so horrifying in a country that has this document that says something about equal protection of the laws. Um, So, you know, I've always felt like more people need to know, you know, what we are, are dealing with, you know, in this country. And they need to be disabused of like the stories that we tell to naturalize and legitimate, you know, what we're dealing with. So just as a very practical example, um, you know, the U.S., when it comes to, you know, jails and prisons and detention centers, right, we incarcerate um, more people than any other country in the world, right? Both per capita, right, ratios, as well as just like the sheer number. We have more than 2 million people in jails and prisons and detention centers right now. Of those folks, right, Black people make up 13% of the population generally. They represent over a third of the people in jails and prisons today, right? So make it make sense, right? Why is it that Black people are 13% of the population, but 33% of the people in jails and prisons today? Um, 
some folks write the narrative that we tell to legitimate and naturalize that is something about, oh, Black people just commit more crime, right? Or, oh, you know, Black people have like some natural, you know, tendency for, for There's a cultural commitment to crime. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we're just lazy. Right. We don't like to work. You know, we are promiscuous. We like guns. You know, <laughs> like there's like, yeah. a, there's like a cultural tendency towards crime. Um, but I also, I feel like in order to bear, battle those narratives that naturalize, like what is just like unexcusable inequality is to explain like the, 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 the role of that poverty, right? Like the poverty that we have produced in the nation, like how that contributes to, you know, higher rates of, of, of lawbreaking, um, our commitment to not invest in the programs that we know will lead folks to lives that um, do not involve breaking laws that are designed to, you know, regulate and protect, you know, folks in communities. Um, so anyway, this, the long, the, the short of the story is, I feel like if we just, elevate the facts, right? The facts of racial disparities and incarceration rates, the facts of racial disparities and maternal mortality, the 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 wealth gap between, you know, black and and you know white families. Um, if we just elevate these facts, um more people will know about them and more people will perhaps, right, um, as long as they're not being fed these lies from a white right-wing media ecosystem, more folks might be a little more politically amenable to, you know, supporting the programs designed to address these inequities that, again, are just like inexcusable in a country that has a document that says something about equal protection of the laws. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. Side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Last question for me. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about me. I'm not smart and I realize it. <laughs> Okay. And so that helps. Okay. I watch simple movies, Marvel movies. You know, there's a bad guy, bad lady who wants to do something bad. They're clearly bad. And then there's this other group that are clearly good, maybe a little bit 
morally whatever, but they're clearly on the right side. And then at the end, they win. Okay. All right. No matter what happens. Okay. I feel like what we have or, or our, 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 our problem in America is not identifying the good guys because, you know, it's who's good. Mm-hmm. But it really is identifying the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Like in this case right here, who wants to stop specifically the entities? Who wants to stop black pregnant women from getting money that they need so that they don't die during childbirth. When uh, affirmative action was struck down, we were able to make a national villain out of Edward Blum. Not as big as uh, as he should be, but in this case, if we're pointing to the entities that are the bad guys here, if names, faces, organizations, who are they? Uh, you know, that's, it's a good question. And, and, I, and I wish, I wish that it was as simple as that, um, as just pointing to, you know, the, the guy behind the curtain. Um, but a lot of this is funded with dark money, right? Like these are <clears throat> well-funded efforts. Um, and so we don't know, um, you know, who is actually, you know, bankrolling all of this. This litigation is expensive. Um, we don't know. And there are also, you know, conservative think tanks that are dreaming up these legal theories. Um, so it's it's a it's a network <laughs> um, of thinkers, billionaires, you know, well-funded ent- entities that are, you know, challenging these discrete, you know, policies and programs um, and interventions with the hope of creating a country that looks like what they want it to look like. And that is one in which we kind of ignore racial inequality. We attribute, you know, racial injustice to the non-white folks who have to live it every day, um, where we have jails and prisons, the warehouse, you know, folks um, where people die during pregnancy and we sort of attribute it to like, oh, they must have had a bad gene. Black folks just have these bad, bad genes <laughs> that cause it to bleed out, you know, after giving birth. Um, you know, so that's 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 the end goal. Um, and it's and it's not just one, you know, Ed, Ed Bloom is just, you know, one of many people like like minded people. Um, it's a it's a it's a movement. Um, and so we need to just acknowledge that movement exists and then fight back with, you know, um, politics, but also fight back with smart legal theories and, you know, folks that are on the right side of history here um, trying to just save Black lives, save, you know, Pacific Islander lives, save non-white lives. Kara, oh, you, you got one more? Well, no, go. it's okay. Go ahead. Do you have, do you have another question? Well, I was just going to say, <laughs> why is it so hard for the other side to counter this. It's the same thing that happened with the Dobbs decision. We knew for years, decades, that they were trying to get to the point where we are today in 2023. Why is it that they can have this this synchronized movement, uh, this concerted effort, money behind it, voices behind it, but yet we know it's there. We know it's a problem. It It infuriates us, yet we don't do anything to count. I mean, so don't get me started on Dobbs. Like, <laughs> you know, like like you said, like when Roe came out in 1973, the right was very clear. We are going to reverse this thing, you know, by hook or crook. Um, and so the Democrats had since 1973 to codify, you know, the, the, the law of Roe. Essentially, we could have passed federal legislation. We could have um, had a statutory right to an abortion. And so Dobbs comes out and we're like, oh my God, what a tragedy. It's like a tragedy that was five years in the making. Um, so, you know, same thing with affirmative action, you know, since 
uh, you know, take go back to like Baki. It's, you know, this famous Supreme Court case in the 1970s where the Supreme Court was like, mm, we're real hostile towards this stuff. We actually don't think that race conscious interventions into this stuff is like, you know, palatable. Democrats had, a, you know, at least, you know, a half a century um, to codify a right, to amend the constitution, right? To, to just like, you know, engage in efforts to thwart what ultimately became Students for Fair Admission versus Harvard and UNC, in which the court essentially for all intents and purposes makes, you know, race conscious admissions, you know, unconstitutional. Um, so why, what explains that? <laughs> Ooh, man, I wish I knew, right? I, I wish that my PhD was in political science, right? And not in anthropology, mm. because then it maybe it'll make it'll help me understand why Democrats have always been so reactive and never proactive. Um, the GOP is very proactive. You know, I have to give it up sometimes. Like their creativity is wild. Um, you know, they they think outside of the box. Um, they are very like organized and in, like you said, you know, in lockstep, like they're pursuing these programs. And part of it, you know, when I when I <laughs> want to think kindly, like on the Democratic Party, I think it's because the Democratic Party just is more heterogeneous, right? Perhaps, you know, the folks who the Democrats purport to represent might just be more heterogeneous, right? We might be more racially diverse. We might be um, more diverse in terms of socioeconomic status. We might be more heterogeneous in terms of immigration status, right? So it, there might just be a whole lot of heterogeneity amongst the population that, the, you know, the Democratic Party purports to represent represent and less heterogeneity amongst those who, you know, who the Republican Party purports to represent. Um, and, and also the folks who the Republican Party purports to represent all the, you know, vote against their interests all the time. It makes no sense for, you know, poor white people to be voting um, for a party that really doesn't care about poor people at all. Um, about people mm -hmm. who are not like hashtag winning within capitalism. Um, so all of that to say, girl, I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I don't know. I don't know what heterogeneity means. <laughs> so, so they're, they're, okay. they're the difference. I, so, so I, I, that's that's. Remember, this is Marvel movie break. Okay. I'll tell you one thing though. Um, I think that's what we can do here on mm -hmm. uh, higher learning is we can dig and dig and dig and try to uh, 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 identify the villains. Okay. Here, okay. and so give people specific people to be mad at. Leonard Leo. You're up first. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, and Chris Rufo up next, you know, like Chris Rufo. Absolutely. We, we, I mean, we have some we have some villains for sure. You know, Mitch McConnell, you know, he's Mitch McConnell, yeah, all he's, you he's guys. Blinkering, you know, he's on he's on the out, but you know, he he made the federal judiciary what it is right now, which is like, you know, incredibly conservative. Um, so there are definitely villains out there, but then there's also, you know, the folks behind mm. the curtain um, who we never yeah. see, never see. Um, but they're right. you know they're the ones who who are really um yeah making all of Funding this happen. It. yeah yeah <laughs> dr kiara bridges thank you for expanding our minds expanding our vocabularies and talking with us about this we appreciate you on higher learning and hope to have you back yeah thanks for having me you guys take care This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. 
You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.